If you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke 4, 16. Welcome to all of you that are joining us by web or Facebook. It's great to have you with us also today. And I want to speak on the topic this evening of a fresh anointing, a fresh anointing. What do we mean by a fresh anointing? Normally, if you were to say to people how many people would like a fresh anointing, hands are lifted, we all want a fresh anointing, but the question is, what is a fresh anointing, and what would you do with it if you got it? So here, Jesus speaks about a fresh anointing that's come upon his life, and he knows exactly what he's going to do with it. It's the beginning of his ministry, it's the manifesto of his ministry, and here in Luke 4, 16, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year, the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. A beautiful manifesto of what Jesus had come to do. And what he'd come to do, the Holy Spirit had come upon his life to enable and anoint him to do these things, to preach the gospel, to release the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, um, to bind the brokenhearted, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, Jesus could do anything he wanted to anyway, because Jesus is the eternal son of the living God. But he was doing this as an example for us. For 30 years, he didn't do any great sign or any great miracle. He could have done so. He was waiting for his time to come. He was waiting to be baptized by John. That happened just, just before this. Uh, and then uh, John said, what are you doing coming out? I, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let's fulfill all righteousness. And John baptized Jesus. And if you know the story, as he came up, the Holy Spirit came into and onto him like a dove descending and a voice came from heaven saying this is my father this is my son in whom I'm well pleased then he went out to face the devil under the anointing of the Holy Spirit who tested him and he passed the tests now is his manifesto it's a spirit-led manifesto it's a manifesto that needs the anointing of God a fresh anointing upon Jesus's life to launch him into ministry. Well, when we talk about anointing, well, if you've been 
in Pentecostal circles for any amount of time, you sort of had a feel, well, what is the anointing? And the anointing can come in many different ways, and, and people respond to the anointing in many different ways, falling on the floor, rolling around, uh, excited. There's many different reactions and responses to the anointing. But the anointing is not all about responses and reactions, although they're okay. It's okay to respond when God touches your life in a very powerful way. So when we're talking about the anointing, what do we really mean by it? Well, I'm going to help you this evening, and um, I've got four, three C's, three points. Each one starts with the letter C. And the first two were relatively easy for me to find. The second one I had to think hard about. When the Holy Spirit comes in anointing, the first thing he will do is bring confirmation. Confirmation. I'll explain that in a minute. He'll bring confirmation. Secondly, consecration. Consecration. And the third one I spent ages thinking about, and finally I thought, well, confirmation, consecration, and clout. Have you ever heard of the word clout? It means to thump, to wallop, to whack, to give it some welly. When the Holy Spirit comes and gives you clout, he gives you power. Stay in Jerusalem till you receive power. So there's a confirming aspect a consecrating aspect, and then there's a raw power to get the job done, which I'm calling clout. Now, the word anointing comes from the Greek word creo, or cryo, depending on how you pronounce it, creo. And this word is used, and when it's used, it's talking about rubbing or smearing or anointing uh, your body with something. So if you take some hand cream, you, you are anointing your hands. Uh, you're rubbing your hands with, with, with the cream, or you're smearing something on yourself, maybe ointment or some sort of healing. And so the idea of the anointing is to take something and to put something on your body and to rub it into your body so that it becomes absorbed by your body. It's interesting when we think about this, times when the woman with the issue of blood, she touched his garment, didn't he? And that garment was about his person. And it's almost like Jesus' anointing was rubbed into the garment because it, it healed her. And Paul, when, when Paul was working, he'd use aprons. That apron would be on his body and it was almost like what God had put on his body got rubbed into that apron. And, 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 and when he wasn't looking, people would nick his aprons and go to the sick and put them on them and they'd be healed. Uh, it comes from this idea of this rubbing, this smearing, uh, this, anoint, this anointing. Uh, that creo is the Greek word and that's what used in the Old Testament and New Testament to anoint. The Hebrew word to anoint is mashak, mashak, from which we get the word messiah, messiah. So when you hear about Jesus as the messiah, it simply means the anointed one. Or Creo, from Creo, the Greek, we get Christos, Christ. So Jesus Christ means Jesus the Anointed One. Or Jesus the Messiah is the Hebrew way of saying Jesus is the Anointed One. Another word into his life came confirmation, consecration, and clout. When we look at the Old Testament and we see the anointing, uh, there's many ways of looking at it, but tonight I just want to explain that there were basically three types of ministry in the Old Testament that received an anointing, especially from God. And this anointing 
was a supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them for a purpose, but also, symbolically, they would also be anointed with anointing oil. So, for example, uh, the kings were anointed. Do you remember Saul? Saul was anointed as king by, Solomon, by, by um, Samuel. I mean, he was physically anointed. The, the, uh, Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it over him. It was a symbol, and it was all over him, rubbing into his skin. It was all there. It was a picture, a symbol, and a prophetic symbol because it brought about an anointing upon Saul for the purpose of being a king of Israel. Do you remember later on when Samuel was asking David's father for all his sons because he knew that one of the sons was going to be the next king and he brought them but he didn't bring David but, but eventually he brought David and Samuel the prophet had an inward witness that David was the one. And what did he do? He anointed him king of Israel and he poured that physical oil upon him as a sign that God was going to anoint him with the power of the Holy Spirit to be the new king. Uh, kings were anointed but also prophets were anointed and there was a, there's a place, we won't turn to it, but in 1 Kings 19 verse 16, 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 16 if you're interested, where Elijah is told by God to arise and to anoint Elisha as prophet in his place and also to anoint Jehu as the next king. So here's that anointing. The oil would be poured on Elisha he would receive a special anointing, we'll talk about how that works, to replace Elijah as the prophet of God. And then Jehu would also receive this physical oil as a symbol that he was going to receive God's anointing to be the next king. So we have prophet, king, and then finally the priest would be anointed, specifically the high priest. So the high priest, Aaron, uh, the high priest would be anointed with oil. The picture is they would pour so much oil on the priest that the oil would run down, drip from, from the uh, beard all over the garments because the priest needed to be anointed and enabled by the Holy Spirit for his priestly ministry of sacrifice. God never does anything unless he first anoints a man or a woman with the empowerment to do what he's called them to do. You can see this right through the Old Testament. Not everybody is anointed with physical oil, but you see that, that, that um, Moses, for example, was carrying an anointing. And he laid hands, didn't he, on Joshua. And at that point, there was an, an anointing. The anointing that was on Moses to lead was now upon Joshua to go into the Promised Land. Do you remember when Moses needed some help? Uh, there was too much work, too much leadership, too much ruling to be done. And so his father-in-law told him to get 70 of the elders. And these 70 of the elders were going to help Moses in his leadership of the millions of the Israelites. And then what happened was they were appointed to help him carry the leadership. And if you know the story, the Holy Spirit came upon these 70 elders and they began to prophesy. It, they were going to lead with the anointing that was on Moses 
also became upon them so that they could serve the Lord, but with a supernatural um, empowering. Think of the judges. Time and time again, these judges are raised up, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, or the hand of the Lord is another way of talking about a special anointing. Think about how Samson, the anointing, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he did incredible, miraculous works of battle and deliverance um, for, for his people. These, the prophets that were raised up, even in the restoration of Israel, when they came back from Babylonian captivity, if you read Zechariah, there's a prophecy that says that priest and king, Joshua or Jeshua, the priest, the high priest at the time, and Zechariah, who was the, the, the prince of the royal family. The picture is of two olive trees with the anointing of God for them to lead the people. So prophet, priest, and king, this anointing. And you can see that also in the New Testament, there are unctions and anointings for the prophetic. There are unctions and anointings for moving in great authority and unctions and anointings to worship the Lord and to minister to him. So I just want to go through these three words that I felt you could look at it in many different ways, but I chose these three words. So the anointing, when the Holy Spirit comes specially upon a life for a specific purpose. You know, as I've said before, a lot of people want the anointing, but the question is, why? What are you going to do with it? And I remember at times in great moves of charismatic activity, you could go to great conferences and everybody would come forward to the altar for a fresh anointing. And there would be great manifestations as people responded to the power of God coming onto their lives. But there was a greater question. When those people who had received a so-called, and perhaps it was, fresh anointing, well, what was it for? Many people weren't taught what to do with the fresh anointing. Maybe do a miracle here or there or, or whatever, but people would get a fresh anointing. There would be the feel-good factor and the encouragement factor, and then they would leave the conference to do what? To do what? To be anointed to do what? As I've said, God never uses a man or a woman unless he first anoint them with his spirit to do what he's called them to do. The anointing is essentially a practical empowerment of God. And this is why Jesus said to the disciples, despite all their learning and their training, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, until you are clothed with power from on high. He didn't want them going out and doing the job without the power or the anointing or the enablement to do it. So the first word, confirmation. Why do I use this word? Well, there was a confirming aspect to this fresh anointing that was put on people in the Old Testament. So when the prophet anointed someone king, it was a public confirmation to those that were around that this person is now king. It was a confirmation. It was, it was Samuel knew that David was going to be king. But when he anointed him, there were witnesses to see that now... Although he would have a long time to wait, David, at that moment, in God's eyes, in the witness's eyes, he was now the king. 
When he anointed the prophet, Elijah anointed Elisha in his stead. It was a confirmation. People could see that Elijah had anointed Elisha. And there were many, many prophets in the schools of the prophets. But Elijah anointed Elisha and it confirmed to all the witnesses that he had been called into this new role. When the new high priest came and was anointed for the first time, it was a confirmation that everybody could see that that the new high priest was being positioned by God, ready to serve. When Moses prayed, and maybe he anointed Joshua, but he was certainly anointed by the Holy Spirit when he laid hands on Joshua, it was a public confirmation of what God was doing. But as well as a public confirmation, God will sometimes, when he anoints somebody, that, that confirmation isn't just like, well, we'll get, a, we'll get some oil and, and, and pour it on someone. and that, That's a symbol. But when God puts his anointing on somebody for a specific purpose, he will confirm them in that purpose. He will give them a recognition by the anointing of God. He will give them favor by the anointing of God to do what he's called them to do. He will give them that favor, that recognition by the power of God so that the anointing will make room for them to do the calling that they've been called to do. Status, authority, position, favor, recognition. These are signs of the confirmation of the anointing on someone's life for a particular purpose. Now, God, now I know, I know I'm going out of here, but God, out of my sphere here, but God can even anoint non Christians for a purpose. Cyrus, the great um, Persian king, God anointed the non believer Cyrus with an anointing in order to release the Jewish people from captivity back to their land. He didn't do it in his own power, Cyrus. He didn't do it as a believing Jew, but God gave him an anointing, success, favor, ability, uh, authority, in order to bring this particular thing to come to pass. And sometimes when you look out in the world, in politics, God will sometime sometimes raise up an unbeliever and give them an anointing, a recognition, favor, and authority for a wider purpose. And uh, the sooner they realize it's God, the better, because God can take that anointing away as quickly as he gave it. Do you hear what I'm saying? If that person rebels against the purpose of God. But we're talking really mainly about believing people here today. So the anointing comes upon the call of God on somebody's life. So Jesus said, I've got a calling. And my calling is to preach the gospel. And my calling is to bring deliverance and to bring people out of darkness. This is my calling, to preach and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And then God gave him an anointing to carry out that calling. And so he was able to preach. He had favor with those that were around him. God enabled him to do what he was called to do by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus, although he could have done it because he was God-made flesh, he didn't do it without the anointing. And he told the disciples, I don't want you doing it without the anointing either. You need to wait for the day of Pentecost. So when God gives you recognition, when God gives you favor, when you find, and I'm talking about whatever area of life God is using you in, not just in the fivefold ministry, but in the workplace, the neighborhood place, amongst people that are around you. Whenever there's a calling of God on our lives, and God has got a calling on all of our lives, sometimes you have to find out what it is and when he's going to ignite it, but that calling, when God starts to use you, understand recognition's going to come in that field, in that area, out there in the world where, you're, where recognition comes, where you have favour with your boss or your tutor, where suddenly you find that you have abilities that are now being finely honed and, and all of a sudden you, you can do things you, didn't, you couldn't do before or, or the gifts you've worked on as a child or, or an adult, suddenly now they're coming to the fore, they're making a way for you. Jesus spent 30 years getting ready for his anointing. And sometimes there's seasons in our lives, and sometimes they can be a lot longer than we want, where God is preparing us for the anointing to come to confirm us at the right time. He knows what he's doing. But we also should recognize that when you get recognition, it's for the purposes of God, not for your, your, your own uh, status. When favor comes... When gifting flows, when authority is released, this is for the purposes of God. It's not so that you can be a somebody and enjoy your life. So if God uses you in any of our giant's areas, say it's in medicine and health or law or education or sport, or perhaps you've got a gift in the media or, 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 or the arts or whatever field God wants you to use you when, when success, favor Status, authority, promotion, position, recognition comes to you. Understand that the anointing is at work. Understand that there are kingdom purposes to this blessing and empowerment, favor and recognition that is on your life. So many people miss this understanding of confirmation because when they start to get blessed, when they start to be recognized, when favor starts to flow, status, authority, or position comes, what happens is, is they begin to think it's all about them. Think of the mistakes of the Old Testament. Look at uh, King Saul. He had such a powerful anointing, but he misused it. But this, this, this confirmation that, that comes, and even David recognized that although Saul had the anointing and was abusing the anointing, David still had respect for the anointing, didn't he? Touch not my anointed. And David was like, I, I can't touch him because he's been anointed by God. He's been confirmed in this position and, and, and God will have to deal with him. I'm not going to touch the anointing on him. Now, this can go to an extreme where you've got some sort of backslidden occultic minister who says, touch not the anointed, which means don't hold him to account by the scriptures. We're not talking about that. So we have confirmation. 
God's favour, God's confirming you in a position, God opening door. I wonder if there's anybody here today or perhaps watching on the screen and God is opening doors for you. God is repositioning you. It's like it's your time. There comes a time when it's your time and there can be seasons of your time. It's not just one time where suddenly things are coming together. Things are moving forward. It's the anointing. Recognize it. Enjoy it by all means, but recognize there is a powerful, serious purpose for what God is doing on your life, and it's to do with kingdom principles and kingdom extension. So confirmation. Isn't it interesting that uh, uh, the Church of England, uh, when their youth come to an age around the age of 14, uh, what do they do? They have their confirmation, don't they? which is the picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was confirmed as, as a Church of England and they prepared me in these classes and the bishop came and lay hands on us and it was meant to be a, a confirmation. It, it's all a similar thing. So confirmation, these things, remember these. This is how the, the God Works. You say, well, I don't have recognition, I don't have favor, I don't have status, I don't have authority, I don't have position. You're in training. You're in training. And God will give you the anointing for what he's called you to do. Both as a believer, with other believers, but also in the particular area of life, that he's not going to give you Saul's armor. He's not going to give you somebody else's anointing. He's going to give you exactly what you need, when you need, to do what he's called you to do. Secondly, consecration. Consecration. Now, the oil was also used to consecrate something, somebody, or something to a sacred task of service to the Lord. So, in the temple... They would take specific utensils that would be used in the temple worship and they would anoint them with specific consecrating oil and those utensils were now no longer just utensils, common utensils, but they were now specially anointed with the oil and separated for a particular use in serving God. So a consecration comes. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit. And the word holy means separate, different, placed apart. He is the Holy Spirit because there's nothing like him. There are angelic spirits, there are demonic spirits, but none of them are in the category of the Holy Spirit, who is God Almighty, is totally distinct, totally separated, totally different from the human spirit or any other spirit that exists. And he's wholly separated to the Father's use. I mentioned Saul. Saul was anointed to be a powerful king, but he was unconsecrated and that was his problem he was carrying anointing an anointing that he couldn't handle what about the picture of Samson remember Samson what a powerful anointing for deliverance of God's people he was given but you know his story and you know his weaknesses the problem with Samson was not that he didn't have an anointing to do what he was called to do but he was not consecrated under that anointing as holy to the Lord. 
I mean, when he was born, he was consecrated. He was a Nazarite. He was never to, to um, drink strong wine uh, he was, or, or any alcohol. He was never to cut his hair so that people would see immediately, this man is on a mission from God and he's separated for a mission from God. The anointing came, powerful things of confirmation happened in his ministry of deliverance, but he himself refused to consecrate himself to this holy empowerment, and the rest is Delilah. You know the story. But in 2 Timothy 2, verse 20, we see this picture of consecration to an anointing. God anoints us, empowers us, but it's our responsibility to consecrate us to the anointing that God has given us in the workplace, in the, uh, in the music place, in the neighborhood place, in the family place, wherever we find ourselves being anointed, it's our job to consecrate ourselves. So, 2 Timothy 2, 20, and Paul is thinking really about the temple utensils that I was speaking about. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware or clay, and some to honour and some to dishonour. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... He will become a vessel for honour, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call on the Lord with a, with a pure heart. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, gentle when correcting those who are in opposition. So can you see here, it's not really talking about temple utensils, is it? It's talking about household utensils. But it's saying, look, you've got, you've got your best cutlery and your picnic cutlery. You've got your plastic cups and you've got your bone china or whatever. And, and what it's saying is that these things, no matter whether it's a picnic plastic cup or whether it's a fine crystal goblet it's not whether it's gold or whether it's plastic it's whether it's been consecrated as a vessel to serve the master and then we we see him speaking to a young minister and telling him some of the areas in which consecration takes place in the way that we treat God in the way that we treat others and the way that we treat ourselves this consecration is extremely important because it anchors us to be able to deal with the levels of anointing and power, I'm going to come to that in a minute, that God wants to give to you. Very few people can handle the type of gifting that God would like to give them. I mean, even generally speaking in the world, because you know every gifting comes from God, don't you? So there can be somebody who's got a beautiful, beautiful voice and makes millions and millions of pounds out of their voice. They're not a Christian, but who gave them that gift? 
It was God, wasn't it? All these gifts come from God. So you can have a very powerful gift as a non-Christian or a very powerful gift as a Christian. It comes from God, but God is watching to see how you will use that gifting that, that you've been given. Will you consecrate that gifting to the service of the Lord, or will you use it and abuse it? And let's, let's face it, there have been many mighty preachers Christian preachers, many mighty Christian worship artists over the years that God has given them a gift, but they never consecrated it to the Lord. They used it and they abused it for their own enrichment or self-grandeur. You know what I'm talking about? We know what we're talking about here tonight. It's a danger for all of us. Whether you're a plastic vessel or whether you're a golden vessel, you can still abuse the anointing on your life if you're not consecrated. That's why God, in his mercy, gives us time of great preparation so that he can help us dig deep, get those roots deep, get the devil out, get ourselves with a renewed mind. We don't have to be perfect to be used by God, but there is a process going on in our life of consecration as well as a process of confirmation and clout. So this means that sometimes in our life, one or more of these things is being emphasized by God. It's a period of great blessing, recognition, favor, doors opening, confirmation. But we should also realize that God is doing all these three. So if suddenly you find the blessing of God in confirmation coming on you, she tell you what you should do? Get on your knees. You're in a dangerous place as well as a powerful place. When God starts blessing you, you'd better move deeper, deeper, deeper. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. If suddenly you find that promotion is coming your way, ability is coming your way, favor is coming your way, Way. Be very, 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 very careful. Humble yourself. Get yourself before the Lord because consecration is needed for this to be used for God and for you not to ruin it or for it to ruin you. It'll be you that allows it to ruin you. Consecration. And then finally, because I couldn't think of another C, clout. But I like that because it's clout. You talk about someone and they've got a bit of clout. In other words, what's that? They've got a bit of power. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes in Jerusalem and you will be endued with power. Raw power. You've had the confirmation or God is working through his anointing at times to give you seasons of confirmation. We've done that. Consecration. God is working on the inside to consecrate you so that you can carry more of his anointing, his ability, and more of his power. You know, when God gives us power, this power, is, this power from God, it can remove mountains. It can turn nations upside down. I mean, God is all-powerful. And so power is a great thing to have to wield for the kingdom of God, but it's also a very dangerous thing to have this power, the anointing that breaks the yoke, this strength that God can give a Samson, the wisdom and ability that a Solomon can receive from the anointing of God, persuasive speech that anointed by God can turn the greatest sinner into a repentant soul before, 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 before the Lord. Persuasive 
speech that no man can stand against like Stephen uh, at his trial, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, powerful healings, powerful miracles, powerful prophecies, these types of things, thump, wallop, whack, giving it some welly, clout. These things are needed today to break through what the enemy's trying to do, the power of God, this clout. But in order to wield this type of, of, of anointing that God wants to visit us in these days, we really need to be consecrated. You know, you, you've got to be of a certain maturity to be able to handle a certain kind of power. So when my son is older now, but when he first passed his driving test, he said, Great. He said, I can drive your car now, Dad, can't I? I said, no, you can't. He said, yes, I can. I'm as good a driver as you. I said, no, you're not. I said, you don't have my experience. And anyway, you can't handle the type of power that comes in a Golf GTI. <laughs> it has a turbo boost, son. He said, oh, I, I could if I want. I, could. I said, well, you go and find out how many insurance companies will be happy to insure you and at what cost to drive my Golf GTI. And he laughed because he knew nobody would. Why? Because he's not at the place, even though he thinks he is, to be able to handle that type of power in a GTI. One day he will. Uh, so you, you, uh, and even, even in life, people, you're not allowed to learn to drive till you're 17, are you? Why? Because the government doesn't consider you to be mature enough to, type, to handle the type of road issues that you might have to handle. That's a brief illustration, but it's applicable to us. Don't ever think that you can handle more power than you've got. That's the reason you don't have more power. Don't think you can handle more favor, more recognition, more status, more authority, more doors. Don't think that you can handle more blessing. Don't assume that you can. That's the reason, perhaps, that God has not brought you into that place uh, at, at, at that time. And, and also, of course, I won't go into it, but sometimes anointing can bring great persecution. One thing to handle great blessing, are we ready to handle great persecution? But that's another story for, an, for another day. And so finally, when, when, we're, when we're talking about this, God, God's greatest work of his spirit is what's going on on the inside of us. He can give you an anointing that can change the world in a day's time like that. What God is most interested in is how you are shaping up on the inside and growing in the fruits of the spirit that will allow you to fulfill your calling.